passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. And welcome, everyone, to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock with Wei Ting. How are you doing tonight, Wei? Doing very well, John. How are you? I'm okay. I'm doing very well. What was your pre-Dynamite ritual today? My pre-Dynamite ritual was um, having dinner. Uh, no coffee, no walk or jog or anything? Nothing tonight. No, I have a I have a a mint tea here, so that's uh that that was about it tonight. A mint tea, nice. All right, cool. Reliable. It's good. Yep, yep. Tea instead of the coffee today. You like to switch it up. You know, you try to uh you try to trick your system every now and then. Different forms of caffeine. You don't know what it's going to expect. Might have uh different effects. You never know. I'm a. It's gonna be weird to finish the show tonight and not have another two hours to watch after this, which has been every Wednesday for the last year and a half for me. And it's usually a super late Wednesday, and then I'm up at six thirty in the morning the next day. So it's like this. This combo is. Uh, I I really liked having NXT on Tuesday. It was like a bit of a breather. But I will tell you, when eight o'clock rolled around on Tuesday, uh, I there was no part of me that wanted to watch any wrestling. I was. Absolutely, completely done after Raw uh, and everything. I just hit a wall, so I watch. I watch NXT much later. Yeah, as did I. Um, and uh, it's it's going to be like this for quite a while. I mean, there's wrestling every single night now, so you're going to we're going to have to be responsible for our own consumption. That's true. Res- there's as much wrestling. Uh, there's wrestling on whatever nights you want it to be. You yeah, can exactly. space it out. It's like no one's under any obligation, including you and I, to have to watch every single hour that is out there. Yes, I completely agree. Well, with that, we're going to chat about two hours worth of uh, AEW tonight, uh, a taped edition from Daily's Place. Uh, but way it is a, it is a, in honor of the trailer dropping, a fast and furious week here at Post Wrestling, as we have got all of our regular shows, all of our WrestleMania coverage, we have put up. Two editions of our shows from post-podcast day that are up now on the cafe feed. Ask Away, the live edition, live Q&A with Ariel Hawani. But no one wants to look back. They want to look forward. And looking forward to Thursday, it's the return of the wellness policy with Wei Ting and Jordan Goodman. That's right, John. Yes, me and Jordan 
3 o'clock on the Zoom on postwrestlingcafe.com. We will be going live for all patrons for this month's edition of The Wellness Policy. As we discussed on Monday, we will be talking about the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And I don't know if you know this, John, but the word fuck is a big no-no on book covers. So it's usually F asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. Why didn't F- you pronounce it that way? Uh, it just takes longer. And I'm a, I'm a badass. I don't care. I don't give a fuck. And that's what this book is all about. Not giving that's a fuck. That's what the fuck. title, I mean, they should have really put the full word out there if they really want to, you know, preach what they're selling. It's kind of what, what what one of the things, but maybe it's a legal thing. I don't know. But there are actually multiple iterations. I've been to the bookstore and like they have one version that's like F star star star, F star C K. There's one that's just like a black box over the word entirely. So depending on your comfort level with uh, censorship, there's there's a choice for you. But we'll be talking about this book. We'll be talking about the success of this book. It's actually spawned a number of like self help books with like, um cussing on the in the title it's ridiculous what, what uh, a, it's what, what a movement it's like the bitch in the wrestling promo like that type of thing so jordan and i will be talking about not just about the title of, about the book not just the marketing of the book but some of the lessons that are within it uh so it, it'll be an interesting discussion if you've read the book if you want to just hear more about it we encourage you guys all in the post wrestling cafe to join us three o'clock Eastern time on the Zoom tomorrow. And if you can't join us, leave a question in the forum, forum.postwrestling.com. Uh, we'll also have a big edition of the British Wrestling Experience that will be dropping on Thursday. Martin Bushby controlling the reins for this week. He'll be joined by several guests, including a member of parliament, Alex Davy Jones, who is going to be on to chat about this, this brand new report out uh they are going to be dissecting that discussing like their thoughts on the report will cooling is going to be on uh it really looks like a a very engaging edition of the british wrestling experience and uh and benno uh, benno is like the the kyle o'reilly he will be back next time he's just uh, selling the effects of wrestlemania week so so somebody is is yelling at him like on on route to the hospital i i would imagine that that would be that would have been the culmination of Martin Bushby and Benno one day. Benno would certainly be the, the Adam Cole of the group. I think he would make the full turn. You're and dead, then, Benno. You're dead. And then they'd, they'd, they'd be told, uh, go 40 minutes. And Martin, Martin Bushby, the triumphant submission artist, ends up getting the victory. And then they're wheeled into the hospital with Benno screaming, this will never be over. Martin definitely seems like a, you know, he seems like a brawler to me, actually. Like Benno would be the technician. But anyway, we'll have to ask him. Uh, Also tomorrow, maybe this is the main event of the entire week, John, because tomorrow night, uh, our friends at Upnext, twitch.tv slash Upnext podcast, they will be holding Upnext Mania. And do you know, John, John, what's going on on Upnext Mania? I, I uh, got my my latest update on the card is that we're going to be getting the grudge match of all grudge matches, Andrew Thompson versus Wei Ting in a promo battle. Promo battle. The you know I mean, I I'm quite I I have so many things to say about this person Andrew Thompson. 
underscore underscore who just won't leave me alone. He's just, just way too much. And I'm going to end him once and for all tomorrow night, six o'clock, twitch.tv slash up next podcast. You're done, Andrew. You will never, I'm taking the underscores off your name. You know, you'll be, you'll have no underscores. I don't even know what that means, but man, that's some of the pre that's a preview of the level of promo you might get tomorrow. Man, I'm I'm going with the uh the under underdog Andrew Thompson. <laughs> anyway, so uh check it out. They've got a whole bunch of stuff uh that's going on all night. So uh check out our friends at Up Next who just released their Up Next last night. Uh, so all of that is out there. We'll have a new post pro res out on Friday with W WH Park and I re reconnecting. Uh, we've got Rewind to SmackDown live Friday night, ten fifteen Eastern, and then it is the finale of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode six. And no, it's ends- episode five actually. Oh, it's five. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. How many I mean, episodes are left? Oh, there's, there's two six. left. Yeah, there's two left. Okay, gotcha. It's so penultimate. penultimate. Gotcha. Nate Milton will be on with WH and Wei Ting this coming weekend. Yeah, I'm really excited. WH is going to be joining us for the rest of the series, talking all about uh, Captain Nate, America. Oh, yes, that's right, yeah. I guess WH will be with you for the rest of the season, too. Both of them, yes, yes. I'm very excited. Well, you can contrast post ProRes and MCU later and see which version of WH pops out on, on both. I think one will be happy and one will be furious. Find out which. Let's move on to a few uh, news items to start. So um, this was uh, circulating today. Uh, there was a fan who had posted, uh, this was would have been on Tuesday night, that they had attended WrestleMania and the collective shows and had tested positive for COVID. And I actually reached out and was in contact with this person today uh, to find out what shows uh, this person attended. So what happened was uh, this person went to Jimmy Lloyd's Degeneration F. That would have been last Thursday, earlier in the day. Bloodsport on Thursday night. Spring Break on Friday evening. And both WrestleMania shows got back home. And he said he got his positive test on Tuesday night. So... I did tweet this out because I, I would say, um, regardless if you were at these shows or not, I would say if you went to any of the shows in Florida and you're not fully vaccinated, probably a good idea to get tested. I have a hard time imagining this will be an isolated incident. And I think a lot of us knew going into this, like this would have been uh, a likely outcome that there were going to be uh, positive cases, but I would certainly uh, encourage those out there not vaccinated that were at any shows in Florida. What's the harm in getting tested and and finding out, and hopefully alerting people as well? Like I think that is uh, very important too to get the word out if you were at these shows and something unfortunately happened. Yeah, I I, mean, I would say that for you know it's not just um, getting there and sitting in your seat and watching the show, but you know being in the corridors, the travel for some people that that yep. that's likely required to get there, being on any any sort of public form of transportation or a plane or an airport, uh, it 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 definitely never hurts to just get tested. You know these were educated risks that everybody was taking, and. Uh, you know, it's this is just kind of what we have to live with for the time being. Being responsible to, in you know, to do the amount of the things that we have to do to enjoy ourselves, and then uh, doing the things that we need to do to make sure that we keep people safe afterwards. 
Definitely. I, I think that like that's, you know, the reality is like these like shows are going to happen and people are going to go there. And I think people understand there is a risk involved. Um, you know, I look at it like there are like when you outline what you're going to do at shows, I think you have to be able to carry those out. And, you know, is is that realistic? Like that's that is what is being stated. But can when you have such a, like we got calls from, you know, uh, Jeremy called in and was stating like on Saturday, like he went in no temperature check. When you're talking about that volume of people, like it's one thing to state that we will be doing these. Is it realistic when we're talking about this volume of people? It seemed like it was better on Sunday than Saturday, uh, but this goes across the board of all these shows. I think that fans need to know that going that, you know, there may be protocols in place. It's another question if all of it is going to be able to be carried out as as hoped for. Like that's just the situation we're in and you're going to have to make that decision. Is this worth myself going uh, to a show where this, this is a potential outcome ratings. We have a bunch to go through here. Actually, we have two shows to go through. We'll start off with raw for the night after WrestleMania. So the show was up. It did in fact top 2 million viewers for the second time this year. Uh, Not quite as many overall viewers as legends night, but they did 2 million 26,000 viewers, a 0.68 in the 18 to 49 demographic. So their viewership was up 19% this week. Demo was up 31%. And really across the board, they were up big. In particular, uh, they did fantastic numbers with adults 18 to 34. It was their highest number uh, since the middle of last March, the first empty arena PC show. Uh, As well, men 18 to 49, Uh, was up 44%. That was a giant number that they did. Uh, But pretty much like all their demos were up this week. They did, they did fall in the third hour. They lost 12% of their viewers. Demo dropped 6% in hour three. So you certainly saw it uh, kind of tailing off. Although uh, there were some like 18 to 34s this week was, I said like how big of a number it was. They actually grew in the third hour, but um I guess way uh, you didn't think it would hit 2 million viewers. It just surpassed uh, 2 million. The third hour kind of did uh, drag it down. But I think you have to look at the night after WrestleMania. It is still ingrained in people that this is an important newsworthy show. I think would also indicate uh, if you look at the numbers from last year's night after Mania Raw, um, this year was up. So it was also, I think, just a greater interest in WrestleMania this year for obvious reasons uh, compared to last year. Yeah, I definitely sense that coming out of Mania this year. You know, it felt to me like a more newsworthy, more important WrestleMania. Well, I guess last year's was very newsworthy as well, but I think it had like that. It certainly had a curiosity factor to it, but I think that it was also, you know, um, you know, this year it just was more of an event. This year it felt bigger, you know, with people in attendance, I think with a very significant title change in that first night uh, and, you know, a pretty well received card overall both nights. So um it, it it i guess now seeing it afterwards doesn't really surprise me all that much yeah and i think that you know in the the next week or two we will kind of see what raw levels off at because now it's going to be hinging on what are the stories and characters you're going to be most focused on uh for raw as they go through i, I shouldn't say post wrestlemania now we're into the build-up to wrestlemania backlash it is the road to WrestleMania backlash. Yeah, you thought the road ended right here? No, they just paved the new a new road. We're gonna keep this trip going. Yeah, we're just hey, look at that. It's uh, um, 
It's like going to Hogwarts where you think it's a wall, but it takes you to a whole new world. Backlash. It's just like that. Yeah. Exactly. WrestleMania uh, 18 and two thirds or whatever that yeah. thing well, is. Well, we, we got, what do we got? We got WrestleMania SmackDown. We got WrestleMania Night One. WrestleMania Night Two. We got Night After WrestleMania. Now it's not, it's WrestleMania Backlash. Yep. It's going to be WrestleMania, WrestleMania SummerSlam, WrestleMania Survivor Series. Yeah. <laughs> They'll take their most prized brand and they're just going to like push it, squeeze every drop out of it. Uh, so NXT Tuesday night, this was uh, their move to Tuesday nights. They ended up doing 805,000 viewers, a 0.22 in the main demo. So they finished eighth on cable. And uh, this was an impressive number. Um you know, it it would be most accurate to compare this to not last week, but two weeks ago, I think, to get kind of a better sense of, you know, was this a big jump or not? Last week, last week, it, it had a, it was positive and negative, like to compare to like last week was such a gigantic like it was a takeover. Last week also did have the simulcast on Peacock. So nonetheless, they were able to maintain a lot of their audience from last week. They were not down in any category. Um, in fact, in some, they were higher uh, than last week. The demo was equal to last week, uh, but viewership was up 5% uh, this week. And the, some of the keys was that the, their over 50 audience was much bigger this week. 18 to 34s, though, it was even to last week, but actually down from two weeks ago. That's kind of the only kind of aberration from the trend. But overall, this was a pretty strong showing for a debut on Tuesday and hopefully it's a good baseline for NXT that this is the audience they can grow and hopefully get a bit younger as well. But I think like this, this has to be categorized as a success for week one on Tuesday, where it doesn't feel like there's going to be any kind of um, curve to educate people to the new night. They all found it. And I thought that would be the case. I thought so, too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think with, with something like this, we wait to see in the weeks ahead where exactly the trend will, will, will go before we kind of make any sort of assessment. But for me personally, it was a much more enjoyable experience being able to just focus on this one particular show for that night. I have a feeling for myself, even I'll be much more engaged with NXT going forward. One thing I want to mention in, in Canada, uh, NXT did not finish in the top 10 sports broadcast. So it was under... 106,000 viewers. And I think ever since NXT began on Sportsnet 360, I don't think it's finished in the top 10 once. And to me, I, my theory is that when NXT started on USA and we got the shift from the network here in Canada to you had to wait for the network version or the one hour edited version on Fridays, I think it really hurt the following of NXT in this country because it doesn't seem like they have uh, caught on in any degree on on Wednesday nights and now even this first week on Tuesday. Like every week you're going to have hockey competition. You'll have NBA. Uh, of late, there's been extra because curling's been going on. But regardless, like I do think like NXT, the popularity has been hurt during this year and a half period. Well, certainly, I think especially with AEW getting a relatively prime spot, you know, a pretty high profile spot on a TSN channel every single Wednesday Right. If you don't have much of a choice, I mean, of course, you're going to you know, watch AEW and by the time, you know, a year and a half or however long we were into it before NXT became live on in America, in Canada here, I think most people had already converted. So uh, it's a bit more of a, you know, we'll see how it, how it works out for them with this move to Tuesdays. 
Uh, any quick thoughts just on NXT itself? I guess the big moment on the show was the unannounced appearances by Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair and that and Raquel Gonzalez. It doesn't seem like we're even going to go through a transition. She was very much portrayed as a baby face and kind of earmarking this segment as this is the future of our women's divisions uh, across all three brands. I thought it was a cool uh, moment that they did with the three of them and really positioning these three as the future. I thought it was really cool. And, you know, I didn't even re- realize the NXT connection between the three. I mean, everybody at this point is coming through NXT. But, the you know, for, for these three in particular, they're a lot fresher out of NXT. And therefore, it did feel like an NXT accomplishment. Uh, it reminded me kind of, you know, of the times that they've done this in the past, you know, post-celebration. Anytime you have a collection of champions who share something in common. Um Benoit Eddie, I hate to bring it up, but like that to me is, you know, one of those moments. Um, Punk and Daniel Bryan, you know, the night after uh, both of them became champions. So it was a nice little moment that they presented and, you know, further, further bolsters this incredible NXT or NXT's incredible um, reputation for uh, the, their incredible women's division. I, I thought it was like a pretty good fresh start. You know, the Kushida title when i did not expect uh but it's it's a great i i love the direction of it i think you know um uh santos escobar has just done a tremendous job elevating that championship and now by the time kushida has won it i'm that much more excited to see like it's not a demotion it's kushida you know many people who regard it as the best junior heavyweight champ champion in new japan's uh you know past uh decade or so now bearing that same flag for the WWE, and I think you know he will be that much more of an attraction anytime he's got a big match coming up now. I enjoyed that match a whole lot, but my match of the night was Leon Ruff and Swerve Scott. Yeah. Um, it, it, that was something I didn't really expect. I wasn't that excited for it, but man, that match was fantastic. Yeah, they, they had a really great match. That top rope Frankensteiner spot that Leo Ruff hit was... Yeah, they, they just had a really strong outing and they were kind of playing it up like this was going to be the blow off and then at the end it's over when i say it's over so we're gonna we're gonna continue this what did you think about the build-up for uh for next week with uh with sare they had the video package we got simon and noki's nxt debut i'm very excited i i really am i think you know uh, like i i kind of mentioned this on monday but i think nxt has just done a tremendous job of presenting their japanese talent as attractions they you know, I guess with EO moving out, like it, it kind of leaves leaves a spot for for Sarai to come in to kind of fill that void. And everybody who's ever held that spot, whether it be Asuka or Kyrie, has gone on to do tremendous things. So um, I'm I'm really excited to see how she mixes into in with the rest. What did you think of Frankie Monet's debut? Uh, I first of all, like it's it seemed like today was just the. Like a lot of people were upset about the, I, I don't mind the name at all, but I'm also someone that like, I don't get upset about pretty much any of the, like, it has to be a pretty ridiculous name that I don't know. I just, I thought the name was fine. Like I, I had no would, issue with it. I think Frankie Monet is cool. an, an improvement over Taya Valkyrie personally. Like, I mean, I don't think it's any better, but I think it's actually even a little bit better considering the type of character. And they also already have a Valkyrie in NXT UK. Not to say like that that even went into their decision making, but it could have been. But I think Frankie Monet is a perfectly fine name. Like she could have done way worse than Frankie Monet. It's it's yeah. memorable. It's got personality attached to it. it. Seems to fit this new character. People just are are I guess sometimes resistant to change. 
Yeah, between her, uh, Mercedes Martinez, you can see they're building up challengers for Raquel. But I think ultimately, I think you string along uh, this pairing until you're ready to pull the trigger with Dakota Kai. Oh, it was absolutely. just it was it was quicker than I thought that like I always thought Raquel will be in the babyface role, but it seems they're they're going there right now, which I can't even say is the wrong move. Like she, you do need that big babyface star on the female division, especially like the question mark I guess is Io Shirai, but they are clearly positioning Raquel now as the the babyface star of the women's division. Yeah, honestly, it really does remind me of just Sean Diesel, where like. Uh, and the story, to me, really writes itself. Here's, like, Dakota Kai bringing in somebody to help her, you know, maybe achieve some sort of single success. They ended up achieving tag team success. And then she goes on to win the belt before you. I loved how, like, it was Dakota in the ring with her for that celebration. And it was, like, you know, uh, um, uh, Raquel, like, showing great appreciation for Dakota. And Dakota playing, like, I'm so happy for you. And then, like, the re- the, the the procession of, like, champions comes in. And Dakota just like fades into the background and you never mm-hmm. see her. I would yeah. love it if there was a second camera on her that they that they put uh, like, you know, recorded and they just show her seething in the future. Like, here I am in the fucking background while you celebrate with these two people that we hate. Like, I, I can't wait for that story. Uh, well, there you go. That was uh, NXT. I thought it was, you know, a, um, you know, a, a a show that kind of warranted following a big event like TakeOver. It felt like way more urgent than Raw did on Monday, to say the absolute least. It was a better show than Raw, yes. Nobody uh, left the ring after somebody slipped. Um, you know. I don't I don't want to... Dude, <laughs> I watched that, and then on Tuesday, my wife and I caught up on Riverdale, and we both have agreed, like, I think we're done. It was, it was really? almost as bad as Raw. It was... Wow. It's just, wow, it was really? just, it was the worst episode of Riverdale I've ever watched. It's like 8,000 stories going on, all of them bad to varying degrees, like mushroom trips, stabbings. Dude, it was a horrible episode. I don't want to talk about it. You're making all the Riverdale fans desperately want you to review no. it. But I think I'm done. I think I've thrown in the towel. I'll, uh, tell to- you the, I'll tell you the other nice thing before we just finish off NXT is. We don't have to constantly compare whether or not NXT was the better show than AEW this week. We could just enjoy it for what it is like we used to. Oh, I was was going to go segment by segment and we could compare tonight. (laughs) I thought we we can now compare both of them now. It's just, it's silly. Like they're both good shows. End of story. Well, uh, yes, they've now got their own nights. Everyone can go into a corner. I just, uh, I don't know. It's, it just seems like it was, (laughs) I don't know. It's, we, we we say like words like, you know, competition's good for the industry. I I question after this how many people really do want competition. It just seems like it is such a um like people have their sides and it's like I don't know, I just found it comical at the end of the day, the the seriousness that was attached to it that we we will say all the right things about like Jericho and Austin talked about this and how it'll like it'll bring out the best in you to have that that competition. But it's like it seems that once we got it, it was like Oh, this is this is too personal. It's just too difficult. It, we can't we can't do this. Brings out the wor- best and the worst, I suppose. And sometimes lately, it felt like it was the worst. Well, uh, uh, just quickly here. So, Fight TV has been purchased by your favorite appway, Triller. They have gone out. They have acqui- their their parent company has acquired a Fight TV. That's of course the the streaming platform that is connected to just about every 
pro wrestling group. Um, even even WWE a year ago for WrestleMania that they went on Fight TV for the WrestleMania shows last year. So um, certainly a big story in regards to MMA and boxing that are also very much entrenched uh, with Fight. Um, Mike Weber, who is the chief operating officer at Fight TV, he did confirm to us uh, that he is uh, staying in place and said that there will be no changes to the Fight brand. We just have some deeper resources behind us now that will help us grow the business. And this comes uh, just days before Triller is going to put on their fight between Ben Askren and Jake Paul. So I guess time will tell of what impact this has with a new ownership group. Fight is obviously for any uh, professional wrestling fan. Uh, odds are you have at least bought a show on Fight TV. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think this is a positive move for professional wrestling? I mean, it's it's very hard to say. It's if they're just keeping everything in place and they're just essentially purchasing like the the reach that Fight TV has. Like some of the numbers in this press release are uh, says over 10 million users is what it states in the press release that Fight has. I mean, that becomes very attractive if you're Triller and you're just pumping a ton of money into this. And we'll see. Like on the surface, it doesn't make any sense that any group would not want to be part of this just because there's a new company, nor would it make sense for Triller to break off um, relationships with any of these? Like it's to me, it just seems like it's uh, a company with larger resources that is overtaking it and hopefully just keeps it as is because it's made a ton of shows just much more easily accessible for this generation of wrestling and combat sports fans than a generation ago where you'd be out of luck and wouldn't be able to watch some of these shows if not for something, not just an online streaming service, a reliable online streaming service. And not to say Fight has been flawless with every feed, but by and large, I buy a show on there. I'm not too concerned about whether this is going to stream or not. It's pretty rare that I've run into issues. Have you used the Triller app? No. Are you on Triller, John? No, I'm not on Triller at all. I, I guess, you know, it just makes me wonder what sort of maybe technical technological advances we might see as part of a fight. Now, now that you have a social media company kind of taking over the reins, their their developers taking over the reins, you would expect. Um, so yeah, I'm I, I'm kind of looking at this as a positive. And the last note is that the fight is now official between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor for July 10th, where tickets will go on sale this week, and it's slated for the T-Mobile Arena, operating at a hundred percent capacity. And this comes after the governor of Nevada had announced that they are hoping that Nevada will be open completely by June the 1st. So that looked to give the green light for the UFC to go ahead. Uh, tickets are on sale this week, and I have no doubt this will be another instant sellout for the UFC, as we saw for the upcoming 262 show for Houston next month. And I think July 10th, uh, tickets will be gone instantaneously. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do we revisit know? our first story for all of our thoughts? Well, what do you think about uh, the element of, tr of travel by that point, John? In terms of uh, people inter flying inter into in this show? Yeah, international specifically, the Connor fans. Oh, internationally. That I think will be tougher. I don't think you're going to get the Irish contingent flying over. I just don't think that's likely going to be possible. You'll probably get some. You, you will probably get some that are willing to do that. I. I just think it's going to be a very I, – I do see this being more of a of a domestic audience attending this show just for 
the travel provisions that are in place, not so much getting into the U.S., it's getting back into your home country and what restrictions they're going to impose on you. Are people going to look at that of, first of all, gigantic ticket prices, going to Vegas where that's not going to be a cheap trip, and then the prospect of potentially quarantining for two weeks, I think that's going to be a tough ask for people as opposed to just buying the show. Is that, I guess we, we probably they're not a conversation we need to have right now, but like, you know, for people that are vaccinated, is that still a requirement? Um, I don't know if you would know that or not. I mean, it depends on the country, right? Like everyone's going to have different uh, provisions in place, but it seems that, you know, certainly I think that in the US, it seems like they are, um, you know, moving uh, by the time July rolls around. I mean, the vaccination rate is going to be that much higher than it already is. So I think if you are, I would say even if you're a conservative fan, and we've already seen, I think, that they're like the UFC audience, at least at this scale for a 16,000, 18,000 seat arena, I don't think they have anywhere near the hangups that we have seen for for wrestling audiences, for instance, not just WrestleMania, but smaller shows as well. Uh, I think that even if you are on more of the conservative side, by the time July rolls around, if you want to go to this fight, I, I could see people in the U.S. being, you know, this pushing them to get tickets and think like by July, it's going to be that much better. So I, I have zero doubt that this is going to be a instantaneous sellout. Yeah. But not, not us attending. No, I, will I don't think I'm there. leaving my house till July. I think that's my new decision. What are we up to over 4,000 cases today? Something like I, that. I've kind of stopped. Checking. I've stopped looking at numbers, even though I, I saw today. It's just, it's like the world seems like it's uh, just going a different direction here. Yeah, I, I do encourage everybody to keep up with Dr. Alex Patel, though, um, who, you know, continues to tweet a lot from the ICU directly uh, and the situation that continues to evolve here in Ontario. So he's a, a recommended follow I would always encourage. Well, on that note, we go to Dynamite tonight, our taped edition from last week. And the Young Bucks started the show explaining their heel turn from last week. And that Moxley pushed them to the edge, and they are the best team in the world, but they allowed others to take credit for their work. This is a newer and better version of themselves, and that opened the show. And uh, this, again, was taped last Thursday, so Moxley was off to do Bloodsport, so Moxley was not on this show. And uh, we did have Mike Tyson introducing himself. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Tyson, and he's confronted by MJF who tells Tyson that his dad told him he was a big deal. And he tries to convince him that Jericho is the enemy, not him. And he asks if Tyson wants to be on the right side of history, trying to encourage him to be on the side of the pinnacle, but doesn't want him to look back and have any regrets, but you probably already have one based on your face. And he presents Mike Tyson with a blank check. Tyson tears it up, puts it into his mouth and then spits it out. Completely gross. Well, I thought he was going to eat it. Probably Swallow. would have been safer if he ate it than just spitting this out. God. Gross. You know, this was a chance for them to put their future mainstream pro wrestling star with perhaps perhaps the biggest mainstream celebrity that they've had on their TV show. And this, to me, was a great way of just showcasing to the world MJF and his ability and his 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 just incredible ability to play off of anybody. Tyson, though, to me, was a surprise on this show. 
he really got into this character. He felt very believable and felt like somebody who wanted to be a part of this and was not simply doing this out of obligation or because he wanted to promote something. He looked like he was having a lot of fun. Yeah, I think he was all in on this and seemed to, I mean, the guy was on like Sammy Guevara's vlog. I mean, I think he was more than happy to do whatever was was asked of him. So it opens with the Young Bucks clear-cut heels against Ray Phoenix and Pac for the AEW Tag Team Championship. New outfits, Dior shoes. Yeah, they had uh, Don Callis out with them. Uh, no tassels. Matt had these beads attached to his headband. Right. Look, looked like you just want to punch this guy in the face. Perfect look for what they're going for. And they showed some highlights from Friday's uh, live event at Daly's Place with Pac and Ray Phoenix grabbing the tag titles. And as the match began, they showed SCU, Butcher and the Blade, The Best Friends, and Jurassic Express all spread out in the stands scouting. So lining up all the potential challengers down the road. A lot of challengers, yes. And the yes. entire division pretty much is here. Pac hit this Fosbury flop onto Matt as Phoenix hit a Tope Suicida. There were these stereo kicks as they destroyed Matt. Uh, Jim Ross was comparing Pac to Tom Billington. And then the Bucks take over with double apron bombs. And they got these negative chants. And th this actually worked out very well being in a taped format. So you like if this had been in front of a regular crowd, it might have taken some time to get the audience to boo the Bucks. But you did have... Um, you had the, the wrestlers there, so you got like a genuine, well, the complete opposite of a genuine, but a, a heel reaction nonetheless for the Young Bucks that I think helped what they were trying to convey here and having that distinction. Yeah, it's true. Because um, personally, I I wasn't thrilled with, I think, how abrupt the transition between babyface and heel was for the several weeks that they've bounced back and forth. But, you know, to go from last week being conflicted and a bit more nuanced in where they were to this week being so full on heel as if they had spent months already in, as these characters, I, I thought the transition was a little too abrupt. Yeah. I mean, there was no, there was nothing conflicting them this week. I mean, this, this was like full fledged heel. They went shopping for new clothes. Yep. They explained they're no longer the Disney version of the Young Bucks. Matt does this spot where he fires up and does a mock hot tag, making fun of his former self. And he gets on his knees. He's pretending to cry. And then Pac nails him. And then Phoenix and Nick are tagged in. And I just sat back and watched this. We had Phoenix with a Greco-Roman knuckle lock on Matt, scale to the top for and springboard into a top rope Rana onto Nick, who was seated on the top rope, uh, packed it a wheelbarrow after a kick from Phoenix into a blue thunder bomb on Nick. Then Phoenix did the tightrope PK to Matt, who's in position for a delayed bridging German by Pack. Phoenix dives to the floor onto Nick. Nick then does a slingshot off the rope into a Canadian destroyer on Phoenix. We get Nick and Phoenix with poison Ranas to their respective opponents on the floor. Phoenix takes a super kick, lands over the guardrail, and flies back with a cutter. Back into the ring, Pac gets the advantage. Black Arrow hits Matt, but then Nick tackles Phoenix to break it all up. And with the referee's back turned, Nick hits a low blow to Phoenix. And then Nick rips off the mask of Ray Phoenix, and he's covering his face, 
double super kick, and Nick pins Phoenix in 23 minutes and 20 seconds. And what solidified the turn was Excalibur, the man that's known them as long as anyone, saying, Tony, if you will allow me, Matt and Nick, you can go straight to hell. <laughs> Excalibur, putting the exclamation point on this turn. I I love this match. I thought it was unbelievably great. 23 minutes that they went on television. I believe the second longest match in Dynamite history. Wow, 23 minutes. You know, it even felt longer, honestly, because I looked up at the clock and it was already like 8.30 by the time this was done. So I guess it was just the promos that preceded it being uh, a good length. But they got a lot of time, and I think this was as excellent as many of us had predicted. These are... These four are the top of the line when it comes to this style. They have amazing chemistry between every single one of them, every single pairing that was here. And, you know, despite how I feel about the storytelling with the Bucks and how they got to this heel position, in the end, if they're going to have, like, matches like this, I can forgive a whole lot. It did work for the match for them to be these dastardly heels. I think the finish just cemented it. But I'm with you. Like, it was a very... Like to go from the if you if your last shot was last week, they're so conflicted, and then you don't pay attention to any of the online stuff, any of their interviews, and then you watch this. Like it's a drastic change in a week. But I will say I thought they were great heels in this match. They were fun, yeah. I, I and I we knew they would there would be. Um it's to me though, takes me a little out of it when I just kind of feel like, okay, the script says we're heels tonight, so we're just gonna be completely one eighty heels. But, you know, again, if the matches are good, you could forgive a whole lot. Marvez is with Hangman Page in Dark Order, and he wants to know what Hangman thinks about Omega and the Bucks, but he just changes the subject. He says that John Silver is four to six weeks away from recovering from his shoulder injury, and then he walks out and avoids answering the question. So keeping that um, in the back of your mind. Marvez then spoke to the Inner Circle and Mike Tyson. We've got back in black shirts for the Inner Circle and Jericho's uh, really pushing the pineapple, the pinnacle, and says that they have learned from their mistakes. And when they did so, they reached out to those they had wronged. And that included calling Mike Tyson. Jericho has a lot of respect for Mike Tyson. He stayed relevant for over 30 years and told Mike, if he ever needs it, or Tyson told him, if you ever need anything, I'll be there. And Jericho called him up to be there last week. And he doesn't expect any special treatment from Mike. And Tyson says, like the great referee Joe Cortez, he will be firm but fair in tonight's match. I think if we're comparing turns that took place last week, I much prefer the Inner Circle's version of it. To me, like Jericho kind of set the scene here by explaining that, you know, after this incident of them getting beaten up, he had already had a change of heart. And we can assume a lot of character growth had taken place off screen including him reaching out to mike tyson giving us a perfect explanation for why tyson came out last week to help them and you know as far as like in ring goes it's like they're still very much the same people they just have different targets and different opponents now it's not as drastic of a change and it's it's a transition that i much preferred to the bucks red velvet versus jade cargill we had red velvet attack as she entered the ring and landed a spin kick and a tope suicida early on, but then Red Velvet gets thrown into the rail and into the crowd with a fallaway slam from Jade. Uh, Velvet would fight back. Jade runs into the shoulder with her uh, into the post with her shoulder, and Red Velvet just yells, "I'm that 
bitch and hits a standing moonsault. I had to check which show I was watching when I saw the shoulder bump and then bitch dropped. It was AEW. Hits the standing moonsault and then Red Velvet misses a top rope moonsault and Cargill hits her with Jaded in six and a half minutes and remains undefeated. I thought these two did really well. You know, and, and especially considering Cargill's limited experience, they said this was, what, her fourth match ever on TV or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Her her wrestling, I think, at times might look a little bit wild and con- and uncontrolled, but I think that'll work itself out over time. Her athleticism is so incredibly strong, I think you're going to see improvement very quickly. A year from now, when you watch Jade Cargill, I think it'll be that much uh, a world of difference and she already is very good i think her her other stuff though like playing to the crowd you know the pauses in between moves she is already really strong in that department and then you add to that like her incredible height and awesome look to me is like she'll be someone that'll be a future main eventer on the show i also think red velvet i really liked her in this match to me she showed some excellent baby face fire in her comebacks has the great salt and the tope suicida look very strong yep mm-hmm. you know yeah, jig I... sorry please go ahead no i was just going to compare and say that you know it was it was a very tall task the tag match but in some ways i mean they had six and a half minutes here where they did not have Shaq and cody to, to lean on and have like the star power of Shaq or or cody in there it, like they were just put out there and we got the picture in picture it's not like they could cut, cut out any of this either like we got the straight match here and they got more time than I, I thought this would so i i thought you know i think both are very very promising in their in their roles and again with cargill like four matches deep that's remarkable where she's at already and the charisma factor that gives me the like that sometimes can be the hardest thing to mm-hmm. to kind of find. And it seems like she's had that from the very onset. I think they've both taken great advantage of this Shaquille O'Neal thing. Maybe as inconsistent with the, as the build was, coming out of it, you have two brand new stars in Jade Cargill and Red Velvet. And they were successful in that. It seems like in 2021, you're going to a training school. It's like you aim for QT and Dustin or Katsuyori Shibata if you're in the U.S., uh, absolutely. Yes. No doubt. Shivani is with Dr. Britt Baker and Rebel with a graphic of the rankings. Baker is ranked third. She is seven and one, but Red Velvet, who is ranked second, just lost. Therefore has fallen to five and one. Therefore, Baker has to go up to the number two spot and she will be racking up more wins to move up as she will be wrestling on Dark Elevation this Monday. Cool. I like these updates continued journey anthony agogo versus cole carter um agogo came out with uh qt nick camaroto and aaron solo and we got highlights of the street fight they did a very good job of making this house show feel like it was something of note they had the highlights of with the tag titles earlier and then the street fight and I think that that's something like when they eventually if they get to doing house shows every now and then showing highlights on TV, like making it seem like how shows are worth going to, and they're not just a throwaway that don't exist on TV. Well, I think what the ratings, the ranking system are, uh, you know, that's right. Uh, They'll count towards those too. Yeah. It, it is perfectly designed for something like house shows to give them relevance. Cause you know, every single match will be counted towards the story in some way. And uh, yeah, I'm sure they're just setting the stage for, you know, eventual travel when it comes to house shows. So Agogo got sent to the mat, popped up, and 
nailed this guy in the body and the body shot leads to a stoppage in 50 seconds. So we did not get the Ogogo Plata. It doesn't really fit the boxer's gimmick, but we did get um, the stoppage finish, which I liked. I liked it a lot. And I love the fact that it was a gut punch and not, you know, I think there, there's probably the temptation to go for the, like a, you know, knockout head shot, but the gut punch just like makes him look like such a bully, like a schoolyard bully punching you in the gut. And I thought this kid Cole sold it really well and he really needed to, cause this is a brand new finisher. To me, the key is like, you know, <laughs> treating it like it's more of a pro wrestling move by giving it a bit more of the theatrics. And he did that with like a big windup before delivering it. It looked good. It was a perfect way to kind of like accentuate this dude's real life credibility while hiding his, you know, limited uh, wrestling exposure. So I really enjoyed this. And it also emphasizes why we have not seen Cody on TV since, well, they did show the, the house show. So that, that really erases that point, actually, that he hasn't been on TV yet since the attack when he took that body shot. But they did show the, the highlight. Uh, quick feature from Miro. He says that Kip Sabian has avoided him since Arcade Anarchy. He hates wasting his time. He's moving on with or without Kip to become a champion and puts all of the title holders on notice. Good promo from Miro, I thought. You know, again, no more of that video game bullshit. To me, like, he just sounds like a good 80s action movie villain type of, like, threatening promo here. Like, cartoonish, but cartoonish in the best way. And I think we're going to finally get to see, like, the evolved form of Rusev that we've all been waiting for since he came to AEW. In ring, he is still... In, in fact, he's. I would say he's even more dominant than he was in, in WWE. He's booked to look like a, an incredible monster, and he plays that really well. But now he's also somebody who can speak for himself. He can cut his own promos, and he's going to get a serious push to match. So I'm finally excited for Rusev again. Justin Roberts interviewed Mike Tyson, and it's Dax Harwood with Cash Wheeler in his corner against Chris Jericho with Sammy Guevara in his corner. The rest are banned from ringside including Tully Blanchard, who came out, and Aubrey Edwards told him to get lost. Early on, Tyson stops Jericho from using a chair, then does the same when uh, Dax has the baseball bat. Jericho ends up taking over until he's thrown into the post. We go through the break. Uh, both men lit each other's chests up with chops. Jericho hit a lion salt. There was a slingshot powerbomb by Dax for a two-count, followed by a swan dive headbutt. Missing Jericho, who then goes for the walls, and Cash nails Jericho from the apron, prompting Guevara to go after Cash. Dax works in a brain buster, then gets caught with the code breaker. And with that, the pinnacle and the inner circle come out. Everyone's fighting on the stage, and Cash Wheeler has the bat. Mike Tyson stops him and drops Cash with one shot. So that was your, your big spot involving Mike Tyson. Guevara distracts Dax, who's going for a pile driver, and as Jericho recovers, lands the Judas effect in 13 minutes and 17 seconds, as Jericho announces that Mike Tyson is an auxiliary member of the Inner Circle. He's part of their satellite organization. He, right. He's the... The Outer Circle. He, yeah, he's just... I mean, if he's an auxiliary member, I think he he's he's just around the, the circumference. Uh, just outside of the circumference of the circle. Very good match. I thought these two were really good together. And I I actually like wasn't thinking about this match a whole lot until these two got into the ring and I recognized, wow, like these are two of like you know, they're 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 they're, they're guys who 
are, are the best at just in-ring psychology. Um, and it made me want to see a lot more of Harwood in singles matches. I think he's mm-hmm. just such a smart wrestler. Remember the Jungle Boy match? Like he's the few times he's had singles matches, they've been great. We also got to see Jericho work as a babyface, and I That's thought right. he was very, very effective. And man, I hate to like. I'm gonna compare it. Uh, uh, continue to compare it with the Bucks. The Bucks match was great, but this was also great. And I thought again, Jericho is was able to transition from his prior character to this character a lot more. He's still a bit of a dastardly asshole. You know, he still does things like grabs the camera, uses a pen to jab at Harwood. These are like, by the all accounts, bat. Yeah. heal heal things. But they are things that the audience loves. Pointing the thing, like raising, raising the finger and in, in, in the, uh, the middle finger in, in the camera. These are baby face actions. So it is still the same character, but he is trans- doing it in a way to make us love him. Uh, so I thought he was great here. And, you know, the finish I... I thought Tyson, the punch was good, maybe maybe, maybe a little overbooked, but um, nothing compared to the main event, I see, at least. Marvez is with Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and the Good Brothers outside. Callus takes the microphone and says that when you think you've seen it all, you've seen nothing. The Young Bucks coming back wasn't the end of the story. It was just the beginning. And Kenny Omega says, we've heard the TV the internet, the podcasts, everyone's asking why I've changed. Well, we're sick of these non-sport, numb-nuts fans who want to be just like us. Well, we were never like you. Matt says they're the best team in the world. We're back. They warn all the other teams and be prepared to be surprised again. And it ends with Don Callis. Super kicking the camera. This was more sweet chin music, I would say. He than um, sweet chin music didn't quite get the height here that was uh, u- uh, usual for this this abrupt ending. Yeah. So is this group gonna have a name? Um the uh the podcast listeners. Um, I don't know. Podcast listeners. What? That's what he brought up here. They've been listening to the podcasts. They've been asking why. <laughs> The podcast listeners, the podcatchers. Um, uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, listen. Like you, you think of the, about the Bullet Club, you just think about you know an iconic logo and, and a T shirt. And I, I have to like this whole rebrand does not feel complete unless they have something like that. There was a feature on Thunder Rosa. She's taking over the world. She's going after the AEW and NWA women's titles. She wants the winner of Sheeta and Ty Conti. And she's going after Serena Deeb. But she's going for the whole world. Everything. Everything, yeah. Uh, you know, we did not mention yet, but Eva Lee has been let go uh, by AEW. Yeah, she mentioned she. Um, yeah, Eva Lee put out a statement. Um, she actually released it to uh, Fightful Select, and it's gone over uh, some of her issues. Uh, but this was a tweet today indicating that she had been let go. Um, AEW has not said anything about it. It's just, um, it's kind of just, uh, Ivelisse that has put out the statement, but yes, um, it seems like, uh, yeah, well, we'll have the statement. Uh, we should, uh, I don't have it in front of me here verbatim, but yeah, she did issue that. That all happened on today, today. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Something newsworthy that, you know, I guess doesn't happen all that often in AEW, but you know, I'm sure more details to come. 
Yeah, and she had been off for, I think the last time she was used was March 2nd on an episode of Dark, so it had been a while since she had been seen on any kind of AEW programming. Chris Statlander uh, versus Amber Nova. Uh, she came out to uh, the Pixies with uh, Cassidy, Trent, and Chuck all with her. They are getting their money's worth out of this song. Like, they're using it for every member of this of this stable. Do you think it should be specific for Orange Cassidy? I, I, I do worry that they will... Um, I don't want them to, to kill this one because I love this. This is my favorite entrance right now in wrestling. It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would use it uh, ju- ju- more judiciously. Maybe she's like, she, you could pay for something else for her. Uh, like, a, like an Eiffel 65. I'm trying to think of like an alien song. Like an Eiffel 65. You remember the, the alien, alien ant farm, maybe? Oh, there you go. Yes. Uh, she gave a boop to Ball Turner, and this was her first match since coming back from her torn ACL last June. Uh, she gave a military press handstand into a leg drop, got the thumbs up from Cassidy, head kick, a bastard driver, and won in 252. It was pretty much just a showcase for Chris Statlander. She's back in the women's division. Good re-debut for her. You know, she feels fresh, and she feels missed, so... Now we await to see like what kind of uh, you know um, character development we might get out of these. If four. Thunder Rosa is going after the world, does that include the galaxy? Very good question. Starts with the world first. Team Taz is with da- Dasha, and they have not got a response yet from Christian, and they're going to go out there to lock down Christian tonight. Starks doesn't think they should have to wait for an answer from Christian. They decide Stark should stay backstage, and then Brian Cage should also stay in the back. So they're going to send out the others to recruit Christian. So Shivani brings out Christian to the ring. It's the first time Christian's been interviewed by Tony Shivani. He says, I'm in my gear, and he's teasing, setting up a match impromptu, but gets interrupted by Taz, asking why he hasn't received a response. Christian said... I was going to answer in private. Even you'd acknowledge that Team Taz is a dumpster fire. But I didn't come here to AEW to fix your problems. I came here to win titles. And I'm glad that you're standing on those three steps so that I can state this face to face. (laughs) And he turns him down. And I was just waiting. And we got a Taz promo here. (laughs) Okay. Well, here's the deal, shitbag. <laughs> if I was standing on my wallet, I'd be standing 10 feet above you. And Christian calls it bingo hall money. Taz says, yeah, there was other money. I never liked you or your stupid buddy that carried you. <laughs> Which is quite the line for the uh, the WrestleMania headliner. And with that, Hobbs enters the ring. They got in this big brawl. Christian goes for the kill switch, but he's distracted by Hook. And Hobbs runs him over, destroys him on the floor, runs him into the steps, and leaves him laying. In the short term, we're going to get Hobbs and Christian. But long term, I want Christian Cage and Hook. (laughs) With four weeks of Taz promos (laughs) running down this shitbag. Dude, Taz... I. I'm, I've said it a million times. Like I think swearing is such a crutch in promos unless your delivery is so great and then it's phenomenal. And Taz, Taz is one of my favorite talkers anywhere. And this was like a great Taz promo. Shitbag. 
Like he mixes up stuff too. Like anyone could be a shithead, mm-hmm. but shitbag, yeah. like that's not one that you get thrown at too often. No, there's some real creativity. He's very creative there. with his he's words. A chem- he's, he's a chemist, you know? He is. He takes he- all these different elements and it does produce uh, a perfect a perfect mix. He would be a great self-help author, I think. You know, put that on the book cover. I really enjoyed the the back and forth between these two. It it, it felt like both of them were really you know at the top of their game with with their trash talking, and uh, I definitely await, can't wait to see a bit more of it. I'm happy to see Hobbs finally get something to do. I think it'll you know the match will be a great way for him to get experience with a veteran and for Christian. I mean, it's a you can assume it to be a pretty strong win for him on the way up. And next week's show, they announced Hikaru Shida and Ty Conti for the Women's Championship. Powerhouse Hobbs versus Christian. Ricky Starks against Hangman Page. And I like this on the graphic. They listed that Starks has won nine of his last ten matches. And Hangman has won 11 straight matches. Just to add a reason for this. Um, Mm. And then Trent against Penta. Which should be pretty good, I think. I think most combinations of guys on this roster, like... You can look forward to. It's a strong roster. And then the main event. Falls count anywhere for the TNT Championship. Darby Allen defending against Matt Hardy. So again, this was taped on Thursday. So this would have been two days after Matt's father passed away. So mm. wrestling here under uh, unfortunate circumstances. Hardy comes out alone. And before the match begins, or just as it begins, Excalibur makes one mention of uh, coming up next. It's 1FC. Uh which is what one championship used to be branded as. Uh, but this was the only plug for one championship. And I'm just surprised because this was a strategic time slot to put one championship in. They've been doing these live cards. They're doing them every Wednesday this month. And I don't think they mentioned anything last week. And that was the card that had Eddie Alvarez and Demetrius Johnson. This one was a uh, much less uh, star power, but I, I'm just surprised. Like they put it here for a reason to try and grab the wrestling audience, but not a whole lot of crossover. Yeah, we we don't exactly maybe know what sort of notes that they might have been given, considering that he said you know the old name instead of the present name. Maybe it was just um, very casual. Um, hey, can you just mention well, this? This this falls on TNT. Like they're mm-hmm. like that's that's their dealing here. It's uh, not really up to AEW to you know it's. It would just seem to make sense, like you're putting it here for a reason, have some crossover promotion, like even even a shot of like the main event fighters arriving at the arena. This is coming up at the top of the hour, that kind of thing. Yeah, I I, I don't know if you'll like if you get that, I think you would get it during the commercial break that TNT would have to put in themselves. Um, I don't know if the the combination of the that the the two brands is, is presently that strong. Oh, I don't think it, like, listen, these, these one championship shows are, I think they probably peaked last week because they, they had their biggest fighters on last week. And I think the remainder of these three are not going to do any significant audience. Um, and they had a big lead in of AEW last week and they did 196,000 viewers. So it's, hmm. it's, I, I don't, I, and you had takeover last week as well that I think this audience was going to be flipping over to, but even so I don't see a lot of AEW. I get the theory of it following wrestling, but just one championship. I don't think MMA fans are, or at least fans that would be watching wrestling and both are going to be too familiar with one championship unless you 
give them some big reason to stick around for, and it doesn't appear they're doing that. So I can use myself as an example, right? Because I, I, I watch AEW. I'm a wrestling fan. I'm somebody who used to watch MMA, but n- not really right now. So I feel like I might be part of like the section that they're trying to reach for something like this. The precedent, of course, has been set with the Ultimate Fighter coming off of Raw. But what made the Ultimate Fighter different was that it was storytelling. It was character development. When you're just throwing a random MMA show out there with people that, you know, with, with characters that people largely don't know, it's not going to be that interesting. If it was storytelling, if there were storytelling elements, it might have a bit of a better chance. Yeah, and in 2005, just the novelty of fights on cable, like you didn't get fights on TV. So just the fact you had a fight at the end of that show was novel. Today, if if you're not familiar with the fighters and it's just, hey, there's fights on, that's not going to be enough for for most people. Like you can get fights any day of the week. Uh, It's not, you don't have that same uh, uniqueness to it. but maybe they can promote a false count anywhere match. Uh, with Dem- with Demetrius Johnson? Yeah, sure. So Darby early on uh, comes off the middle rope and gets nailed with this chair shot and his back gets cut up. We have the chair around the neck of Darby and he avoids taking a twist of fate. Be- uh, Butcher, Blade and Private Party come out followed by Dark Order and Sting. So we got a million guys out here. Sting takes out Private Party to the floor. Hardy then does this. This to me was the spot of the match. It's, well, maybe second uh, to the finish. But we've got this set of stairs that are stacked up. Darby gets reverse Irish whipped. And he flies over these steps into the guardrail. It was like this guy just glided over these stairs. It was insane. He, um... He he is uh, very uh, easy to throw, I guess. He's very easy to throw. Yes, that is true. <laughs> then Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky came out. They're stopped by Lance Archer. I gave up counting how many people were involved in this match. It had to have been 30. Sting and Archer have a stare down and Cassidy uh, Isaiah Cassidy eats a blackout. And Archer and Sting, I guess we have the idea that they're on the same page. Yeah, coming off of the uh, promo segment last week, I suppose. They they kind of have um, their rivals, but like I guess he's taking Sting's advice to heart, and they're joining this week. Sting throws the bat to Darby on the stage, but gets hit with a low blow by Matt, who then hits the twist of fate with the chair around the neck. Darby kicks out. They go to the back, where Tony Khan and BJ Whitmer are in the go position, and a ladder is set up. Matt hits a leg drop off the ladder, putting Darby through a table, for a two count. Then they return to the stage and a power bomb gets stopped. Allen hits a low blow and then he gets the bat attacks Hardy and destroys the monitors on the announcer's desk, clears the area. He chokes Hardy, puts him onto the desk and then he climbs up the lighting truss and dives off with a coffin drop for our first ever bump through the announcer's desk in AEW. Yeah, that's correct. You're right. It's amazing. And Darby pins him one, two, three. Um, I thought on its own, like it was a pretty wild hardcore match. It was a pretty creative finish that I could get into. I will say though, that I just feel like I have seen a lot of these just violent matches in AEW. And it is becoming like, just to me, a bit of overkill. And this is before we're getting to blood and guts in a couple of weeks. And 
much less like uh, Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa several weeks ago. It just seems like there is a lot of this now. And I don't know if this feud necessarily warranted a false count anywhere match. It just seemed like we had uh, Matt Hardy get involved with Darby and boom, we're going to what should be a major stipulation match and both worked very hard. I didn't have an issue with that aspect, but it is to me um, a heavy reliance on these types of matches. In this particular case, I found it more, you know, for the sake of Matt Hardy trying to maybe um, give him th- things to do um, beyond just, I think, having to wrestle a typical, you know, match. Uh, because I, I definitely feel sense a, a bit more limited mobility in him these days. So maybe, you know, this was just a way of adding some bells and whistles to make it feel like that much of a bigger of a match. I, I definitely agree. I think, you know, with AEW and Hardcore, the bar has been set so high. And I think it'd be one thing if you kept all that stuff onto a pay-per-view. But now on TV, we just saw one of the most violent things we've ever seen in AEW in Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. So um, uh, something like this, despite it being just a beautiful spot to close the show, is not really going to be remembered all that much, you know, even next week. Um, I also like, think... Like, look in a month, we got, you know, the exploding barbed wire death match, Rosa and Baker, Arcade Anarchy... And false count anywhere. That's like within the span of a month. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, uh, I think another thing that really took me out of this one was the fact that they just crammed way too much story, way too many other feuds into this. I heard Dave Meltzer make the criticism of AEW last week featuring too many people. And at the time, I didn't really agree with it. I felt like despite how many people were featured on the show, I thought, you know, most of them were just supporting characters. And I didn't have an issue separating the focus from the actual people that, you know, deserved the attention to the supporting characters. That was not the case in this match. I very much agreed with Dave's point here. I thought they were cramming way too many other stories and subplots into this. And in the middle of this, you know, you, like having Sting out there, having Archer out there, having Sky. And uh, I guess that's one whole program. But it's just like they're not established. Like it just had no place in here. You know, it's and diverting it's- your attention. Like there was even a point in the match where Jim Ross was saying, let's let's get back to the focus on the main event. It was just like there's all these other little things going on and you start like there were elements of this match where like you're forgetting about Darby and Matt Hardy. And it's just it's a lot. And when you're putting a lot out there, it's like nothing, nothing really is remembered at the end. And I think in this match, ultimately, you're remembering that final spot. I think that part stood out for you. But all this other stuff. I think that kind of gets lost in the giant wave that this match was. It was like the what is it? Was it a dark order in there as well? Um, they were out who, there. Yep. Who are they? Who are they? Butcher, battling? Blade, Cassidy, Quen, yeah. Sting. It was just a bit much, and I thought uh, you know um, took away from my enjoyment of of the story that Darby and Matt Hardy were trying to tell. So maybe there's something to that. You know, too many people at once is a. Uh, not necessarily a good thing. I, I will say for Matt Hardy, I thought this was one of his best performances in AEW. Like in terms of especially a bell considering, match. especially considering the circumstances that you mentioned, absolutely. one of the toughest yes. weeks I'm sure for him. So I mean, under those circumstances, I, I think you know it was um, you know very impressive the fact that he went ahead and I, I I would say like I I a singles match in AEW is not coming to mind that tops this for for Hardy of the past year he's been here. Um, I'm trying to think of, um, like one of the Sammy matches where they, like the tape match that him and Guevara did on the pay-per-view, the one after the, yeah, like that yeah. one to me, I was, I, I don't know, well, like that depends kind of on a, your, was that the that cinematic, was a cinematic match? match? Yeah. Oh no, that wasn't very good. 
Yeah. I don't think that was better than huh. this. And that would be the only other one that stood out. So there you go. Uh, Dynamite. Um, I I really enjoyed that tag match. I thought it was one of the better AEW TV matches this year. Um, Dax Harwood and Jericho was great. And I'm with you. I think like the story of the inner circle has been very compelling and it's a lot of attention to detail. It doesn't seem uh, abrupt if that's the criticism that you have of the Bucks, which I, I think it has been. Um, but th- those to me were two of the big standouts. Tyson was really good in his role. And I think overall, like we've just seen a greater elevation of the bar for celebrity involvement to the point mm-hmm. that, you know, when, when someone, co- like I'll even say with like, Logan Paul on uh, Sunday that it's not like he to me would be comparable to like Bad Bunny's level of what he put into it but the guy like he took the stunner and to me it's like these companies to me are at a point where it's like if someone's not into it and not feeling it we don't need it it's like yeah you might get us some attention momentarily but if it's gonna look stupid and you're not into this we don't need it and I think like that should be almost like an internal process. Like, of course it's going to be enticing when you, the larger, the celebrity, but I just think that's a much better thing when you see a lot of these celebrities and that they, they're taking it seriously and they don't want to embarrass themselves either. And I think bad bunny has like really um, put the bar that much higher of someone that was (laughs) for months going to the performance center and training and making sure that they were not going to embarrass themselves. Him, Pat McAfee. Sure. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the a common thread is just celebrities who have uh, an appreciation and, re- and a respect for pro wrestling. People who aren't treating this thing like it's just a way to get their name out there. They're not treating it as if it's beneath them, like so many of the raw guest celebrity hosts had it, it, around that time. You know, like, you know, people like Shaq and people like Snoop even felt like they wanted to be here to do something special and that they appreciated the time that they were given. So I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, this show to me was not without its problems completely. I thought there were some story inconsistencies and things that definitely could have been better. But I was overall really impressed with some of the elevation of the younger talent here. I thought Red Velvet and Cargill both look very bright. Uh, their futures. Anthony Gogo, I thought, did a very good job, uh, and they booked him really well. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, really solid opening match. Jericho's turn feels really good, and uh, some overbooking, I would say, in the main event. So last week, AEW did. Let's uh, let me just look at the number here. I'm gonna get your. I'm gonna put you on the spot for a prediction way of uh, what their audience is going to be tomorrow. So last week, uh, they did. Uh, this to be fair, this was you know what? Let's look at two weeks ago because last week had takeover they were going against. Uh, so la- two weeks ago they did seven hundred thousand viewers, a point two six, which was not not a great number if you're looking at past months. So what do you think? Do they do they top? Uh, I'll say over or under eight hundred twenty five thousand viewers. What did they do um, two weeks ago? Seven hundred. Seven hundred. Okay, and last week how, how did they do? Last week they did six eighty eight against Takeover. Eight twenty is that what you said? The bar eight twenty five. Yeah, higher. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna say higher. Higher. Okay. Yeah. And for the demo, I'll peg it at let's say point three two. Okay. The last two weeks have been point two eight, point two six, and point three zero going three weeks ago. So I'll say point three two higher or lower. Ooh. I'm gonna say just that or lower. Okay. You. We'll, we'll see. What's your I, th- I think that they're going to do I-, I see them doing right around 825 I- and to be honest I think it 
I did not feel Mike Tyson was like this big thing over the past no. week. No. Maybe on a non WrestleMania week that would have had more um, buzz attached to it, but I did not sense it this week. I mean, it's also I think a relatively rushed you know promotion job. They only had that one week to push it. It wasn't as if like it was a big attraction that you're pushing forward on a on a pay per view, for instance. So I agree. I don't think it was that much attention. Um, so I will I will put it right right around like kind of what I guess. I'm gonna say I, I think it'll do. I think it's gonna do over over eight hundred, somewhere in that eight hundred to eight twenty five range, and I'll say it's gonna do a point three one. That's gonna be my guess. Okay. All right. So we we kind of agree. Yeah, I think in that I think in that range. Uh we we shall see. All right. That uh concludes the review portion, but let us move on over to forum.postwrestling.com. Tonight, on a scale of one to ten, you gave this episode a eight point five six. Very good. Okay. Johnny writes, Bucks versus Pack and Phoenix. Man, I forgot how much I missed pure douchebag Young Bucks. I love this match, despite having one of my hated tactics in wrestling, ripping a luchador's mask. I thought that spot was great. I, I thought that was a great finish. Jade versus Velvet exceeded my expectations. So great to see two talents get better in a short time. Anthony Agogo is a star waiting to explode, and I hope the ref stoppage stays as his gimmick until he gets more comfortable. And beginning to rehab Miro. This show just feels like it's addressing whatever problem fans have, whether big or small. More vignettes and promos. I'm glad we're getting some more. And could be the first pro of NXT moving to another night. Also, the amount of punishment Darby takes just makes the perfect underdog babyface. What do you think? What do you think the card is for double or nothing? All I got in my head as basically booked for the show is Sheeta versus Britt. Um I mean for the Omega program um, seems like they they are hinting at certain certain things. We're looking I, at King, Kingston Mox in the mix. Um, I, I could see the tag that? match being um, Moxley. I could see like Moxley and Kingston teaming up against the Bucks at the pay per view. I could see that. Although they did show like all the roster watching the Bucks match tonight, so it's kind of leading you to think that they're they'll be defending against one of those teams although it just might be a tv thing i see every one of those teams as tv programs even kazarian and daniels i don't even think they get a pay-per-view out of that um if if moxley and kingston are with the bucks at the pay-per-view and that's just a guess um i mean with omega i mean you did have him pin moxley but i just i can't see them going to that match again um page did the tease with christian but that seems like more of a long-term thing down the road well, Hangman is. Didn't they say Hangman's number one contender right now? Yeah, that feels way too early to do that one. Um, but these are, unless there's some something out of left field, like something comes out of this Impact pay per view that he wins another belt and you put him with another champion somewhere. Yeah, I just you know if you're gonna have Page be a number one contender, he's gonna have to get a title shot at some point, and you're probably gonna save that for a pay per view rather than a TV show if you're gonna do Page and Omega. Oh, certainly, um, certainly. And they what? They have more than a month, right, for this build? May thirtieth. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think, what else? Baker and Sheeta. Yeah, probably that's happening. I would say, good bet. Um, I guess Darby really could be anybody. And some of these other programs, Sting and uh, Archer t- team, team up. Maybe they could do a tag match. Yeah, um, you got to have something age. notable with Christian. Christian could. Um, I mean, Christian and Hook, Hook and Christian. I mean, that yeah. to me is that's pay per view worthy. 
Uh, and the rest we'll see. It's a little too early, I would say, to predict the full card. Let's go to Mark, who says, What a fun two hours. After the amount of wrestling that most people consumed over the last week, I find it quite the achievement that AEW managed to add to it with a show that flew by and full of good stuff. Did did you feel that, John? Like, what was your excitement level for tonight's show? Were you dreading it at all? Like, more wrestling at the end of it all? Or how'd you feel? Um, I was I was really pumped for that tag match today. I was looking forward to that uh, throughout the week. So, no, I, I, I didn't really sense that today. I was excited, too. Like, AEW is just, it's a good show. So I don't get burnout for for good good wrestling. Love the opening tag. Also really like the idea of the whole schmans going down in the, in the middle of the main event and letting the match continue for another seven or eight minutes without the outside factors influencing the match. Looking towards Double or Nothing, I'm feeling like a faction-centric gimmick pay-per-view makes a lot of sense. Seems like that's where things are headed. You have Inner Circle and Pinnacle, Elite Moxley Kingston Death Triangle, Dark Order Hardy's Faction, Nightmare Family in the Factory, Christian and Team Taz. I'm sure there are a few more I'm missing. Plus, it's pretty likely Double or Nothing may be the last Jacksonville pay-per-view if they can get back on the road for the fall. So they might be able to do some fun stuff, such as Stadium Stampede among other, other match types. Can you see that, John? Stadium Stampede? Um, now would be yeah, the time. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it's, it's, it'd probably be the last time you could do it. I just can't see them doing like a 45-minute segment at a, any other pay-per-view, um, unless it was certain special circumstances. But... Um, yeah, I mean, there's part of me that thinks that you don't want to touch what you did last year, but I could see them certainly wanting to try. Yeah, especially with the pinnacle inner circle, you know, I think but comedically um, and even in terms of action, I think that that pairing would be very good. It's just I don't think you weird. want to make that too comedic, though, especially coming off of blood and guts like that's I, I, I wouldn't want to. That's my hesitation on that feud. Inherently, though, it is like if you're going to try to live up to the same stadium stampede as last year, there are going to be some, you know, more not necessarily like laugh out loud, people look silly types of comedy bits, but like more entertainment based than your typical wrestling match. I'll say this. If they do blood and guts on May 5th and then they come back with a rematch several weeks later, I will really question why like blood and guts should be the absolute end. And I'm somewhat... I, I do think it's way too early for this feud. I think you could get months out of this as Jericho and Dax Harwood showed tonight. And we're going to go to like, if that's not the blow off on May 5th, I think that kind of diminishes blood and guts out of the gate, that it's not this feud ending war that brings uh, an end to a blood feud. It's true. Yeah. I, I, I would have saved it for the end myself. So yeah, we'll see. Hey, have you seen the blood and guts poster? That they made, yeah, it's awesome. It's like a play off of like the uh, the '87 War Games poster. Yeah. I I really like that touch. It's great. They sh- that thing will sell tremendous T-shirts. Uh, Nick writes a pay per view quality title match to kick off Dynamite. Sign me up. The Bucks were superb in the ring and were equally superb in illustrating their character change that got a little bit lost in the shuffle at the end of last week. I really enjoyed the end of the main event. Matt must have felt like he was re- Matt Hardy wrestling the younger version of his brother at times. However, the middle was a bit of an overbooked mess. AEW balances a massive number of names and storylines on each Dynamite. And since Revolution, it has occasionally felt like there are maybe too many mouths to feed for everyone to get over. I trust the powers of B to deliver satisfying stories. And it's incredible that they had another great episode without the likes of Moxley, Cody, Kingston, etc. having to appear. Christian verbally jousting with Taz was something I didn't really realize I needed in my life until tonight. 
Chris in Ottawa says, another valuable appearance from Mr. Tyson. I always watch his segments because I know that nothing will go quite according to plan with Mike. Glad he, glad he again ended up with his shirt off by the end of it. And what a working punch. At least I think that was a working punch. And Chris Jericho again showed us the pitfalls of trying to use difficult words for effect. A problem that can befall even the best podcasters on occasion. Besides mispronouncing the word ancillary, it's a rather unflattering term to use. Webster's Dictionary defines ancillary, and I hope I'm reading that right, Chris. Ancillary as subservient or subordinate, like a handmaid. Iron Mike ain't no handmaid. Thank you, Matt. Auxiliary. Auxiliary. So Jericho said ancillary. I guess so. I... The word he, I think he meant was auxiliary. Yes. Okay, got it. Taz is perfectly cast as a stuffy, heavy set, and frustrated foil from a sitcom like Mr. Carosi from Saved by the Bell or something. If he can come out each week and get flustered, I think that's just good TV. To sum things up, AEW again delivers more total entertaining minutes than either night of WrestleMania in less than half the time, not to mention the superior unscripted promos. Nine out of ten. Jesse from the six between Anthony Agogo and Mike Tyson. This week's episode was boxing heavy. When I think of pro wrestlers with significant boxing backgrounds, Mark Merrow, Elijah Burke, Baron Corbin, none of them incorporate much, if any boxing into their wrestling. Why do you think this is? Do they not trust themselves to deliver a work punch? I, I think you'd be, I don't know what significant boxing backgrounds would it would entail. I wouldn't say any of these three would be a uh, significant. Sure. Hey, do you, do you not know the best striker in the business? Just had a match at WrestleMania, and Shane McMahon. Have you not seen some that the some of the striking he incorporates? There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. Maybe it's just. I mean, I guess obviously not the way that they train them in the wherever they train their wrestlers, and uh, it's hard to work a match. I would say around too much of your boxing beyond like your big finishing move, and and they they've done that with like certain guys like the Big Show. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's just they something did, they did with Rocky Johnson. Like that was how they build him for that. The feud with Jerry Lawler was they brought him in and, and they promoted him as like this, you know, high level boxer. And in the territory days, like you could get away with that and worked it up to like this wrestler versus boxer feud, even though he was a trained wrestler. Um, but they, you know, they, they were able to convince people like the fact that he had like sparred with, uh, Muhammad Ali and such. And they were able to take like these elements that were legitimate and really sell him as like this, this world beater as a boxer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in the WWE form of like storytelling, I, I, I can see maybe the, the difficulty in trying to, you know, promote the fact that this guy, you see punches in every single match, you see a million punches in every single match. And usually they don't do a thing, you know, but this, this, this dude, Somehow, his single punch is the touch of death. And, you know, you, you treat anything with enough seriousness and enough promotion. You it's all in how you sell it. it. Like, you could get anybody over in this fashion. It's all in how you sell it and how much you're committed to it. It's like you don't necessarily need a boxing pedigree to get a boxing gimmick over. We got a Magen who says, I love the opening tag title match a lot, and it was refreshing to see the Bucks stay heel, despite how wishy-washy and somewhat forced the turn was last week. The Inner Circle Pinnacle feud took another step to- forward with T- Mike Tyson fully aligned with Jericho and company. Do you think Tyson comes back, John? At some point, I'm sure he will. Later. They need yeah. him. Like, I, I don't think he's the hardest person in the world for them to, to book if they can, if they have an idea for him and, and it works out. I w- also wouldn't want to overdo it either. 
Yeah. I wonder what the plan is for Double or Nothing with the Blood and Guts match being on AEW TV. Solid promos backstage with Rosa and Baker in the Falls Count Anywhere match with Darby and Matt Hardy was good. The coffin dropped through the table was mad. And Kate's our final one here. She says, I feel like I need to go back and watch the opening match again because there's no way that my brain took all of that in. I found the match dizzying to watch. It was also nice to see two women's matches and a couple of promo segments. I especially like the booking of Jade and Red Velvet. Velvet gave Jade the toughest challenge she's had so far, enough to throw her off her game, but in the aid, in the end, Jade was too powerful. Neither of them looks bad after that match, and I hope both will be big players in the division. Every time I see a Darby Allen match, I'm caught between really excited and wanting to stage some sort of intervention for him. I don't want to see the boy die on screen, and I'm starting to think that his that's his long-term career plan. Uh, Matt and him put on a solid show, Hardy's best singles match since he came to AEW. I couldn't help but notice that some of the footage they used in the video package before the main event was of Darby fighting the Butcher, which happened at the house show last Friday. Do you think that means that we'll get to see the whole thing at some point? All in all, a great way to spend two hours, eight and a half scary looking punches out of 10. Uh, Tony Khan has said as much, like they taped the house show. They did commentary for it. I think at some point they will put it somewhere. It's just a matter of when and where. But, I mean, they filmed it for a purpose, so um, I'm sure it'll pop up somewhere. You know, someday, like, with the way things are going, they're going to be able to say, we have X hours of content that we can sell to this you know, provider or that we can promote ourselves on our own service. So if, it's, if you're already doing the match, why not just put a camera on it? Yeah, I think that it's... It's an interesting strategy because they did not come out of the bit, the bat, or sorry, out of the gate with house shows. It was strictly doing TV that I think that there was, especially a period at the beginning where if they had done select house shows, I think it was to the point that you, you could have said Friday night, we're doing a, a, a non, uh, non televised event, um, that you could buy for $10. And I think they would have done well with that, uh, by doing less shows instead of doing, you know, three house shows every week. So it'll be interesting what their strategy is this year, or once they get back to touring, what is their approach to live events? Do they do the odd one in certain markets? Do they ramp up live events beyond just doing the TV? It's like what they're doing now, just fulfilling their own, their own commitments that they have attached themselves to with TNT, but also all of their dark content. That's a lot. They are Mm -hmm. taping a ton of matches every other week. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, if any, of that changes once things somewhat get back to a more normal schedule and you're incorporating travel into all of this. I think you're going to see more. You know, I think the roster is big enough now that you could have split crews do different shows, you know, in different parts of the world. All right. Well, that will bring an end to Rewind the Dynamite. So thanks to everyone for joining us. Uh, every... Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're here live after Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown. Uh, So we appreciate all of you that tune in live on Wednesdays, the Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso Patrons. Thursday, Way is back at 3 Eastern time for the wellness policy. Looking Mm -hmm. forward to this way. And then I will be back uh, post-ProRes on Friday and then rewind to SmackDown on Friday night at 10.15 Eastern after the SmackDown after WrestleMania edition of WrestleMania SmackDown. I mean, this to me is the big one. It's it's the real show because we're going to see follow-ups with Bianca Belair, Roman Reigns, you know, the two main events of WrestleMania. So I look forward to it, to that one a lot. And All Edge. right. That's right. That's right. Do you, do you expect that we see Edge? I think that's the part that I, 
I think like we kind of glossed over is the fact that you took the two guys with like the career ending injuries and gave them concertos. Like mm-hmm. logically, should they even be on the show on Friday? Like that should be given who the characters are and you did these concerto shots. Like there's the argument that, well, at the very least, they better not just be waltzing out at the beginning of the show all smiles. Yeah, I I think for their sake, um, especially Brian with his history of concussions, I think he should definitely sell that and take an extended absence. Enjoy the enjoy the after WrestleMania vacation. Yeah, but it it should be an interesting edition of SmackDown. I think that's certainly the show that has more buzz coming off of WrestleMania than Raw. All due respect to Lily and the multiple fiend programs that we have. Uh, But that's going to wrap things up. All of your news can be found up at postwrestling.com. Postwrestlingcafe.com is where you can get all of our bonus shows, including our live Ask Away and Ariel Hawani Q&A from post-podcast day. And more to come this week with the Wellness Policy, MCU Later, and we will see you later.